Let's begin today with a little word association. Now we're Minnesotans, so I won't make you answer aloud or to your neighbor. Just think in your head of the first word or feeling that comes to mind, okay? What is the first word that comes to mind when I say the term spiritual growth? We got it? I've asked this question on a number of occasions to various people, and I get a range of answers. Many people, when they hear the phrase spiritual growth, associate it with a certain practice, a way of encouraging growth in their lives. So they'll think of words like Bible or prayer or church. Some people hear that phrase and have a positive response, and they'll say health or joy. Lots of people don't know how to react, so they say words like unclear, evasive, or simply, huh? And many people I've asked that question do have a negative reaction. They use words like boring, restricting, discouraging, or simply, as one woman replied, bleh. I don't know where you fall on that spectrum, but I do hope by the end of this sermon your reaction is a bit more favorable. Last week, we began a new series called Cultivate, where we're looking at how we grow in our life with God or spiritual growth. We're calling it Cultivate because like any plant or produce, while we must do our part, there are also elements outside of our control. We cannot make things grow. We can only create the conditions in which growth can occur. Last week, we looked at the goal of spiritual growth, the fruit of what we're seeking to cultivate in our lives. And we said the goal of growing in our faith is Christ-likeness, becoming like Jesus in every way, not just in our behavior, but also in our thoughts, attitudes, and desires. We focused on two images the Bible gives us for growth. One was an embryo or baby in the womb. Because that's the image the Apostle Paul gives us in Galatians 4, 19. Until Christ is formed in you. Just as a baby is delicately fashioned in the womb through care, attention, and time, so too God wants to see the very form of Jesus birthed in our lives. And this is not burdensome. In fact, it's the good way to live as our other image conveyed, a river. From Jesus' words in John 7, 37 to 38, whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. We don't become like Jesus because we're obligated to. We become like Jesus because it's truly the good way to live. I hope that was encouraging and inspiring for you last week. This week, we're looking at the process of growth. And as with last week, the message is pretty simple. I'm going to say it right up front, and then we'll look at each aspect of what it means for us. Here it is in three parts. Spiritual growth is a gradual process with God that involves all of life. Let me say that again. Spiritual growth is a gradual process with God that involves all of life. Let's look at each of those in turn. First, Spiritual growth is a gradual process. I'll be honest, this is one of the things I dislike the most about growth, and I bet you do too. We live in such an instant gratification culture. If we want something, we get it instantly. Dinner, stick it in the microwave, or grab something from the hot bar at the upscale grocery store. 
need new shoes or books or pretty much anything you used to have to drive to the store and hope was in stock, one click on Amazon and it'll be at your door in two days. Even same day now they're working on. Now there's nothing wrong with microwaves or Amazon. I'm a fan of both. But the problem is when we transfer those same expectations to our interior life. The trouble is when we want microwave maturity, when we want character to arrive in two days or less. Life just isn't like that. That's not how human beings are formed. As I said last week when we looked at Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, the Bible often uses the image of child or maturity or growth as a metaphor for growing in our life with God. And I think that's powerful. Because if spiritual growth is patterned in large part by physical growth, then that tells us something about the rate at which we grow. This is a video montage of selected photos put together by a father of his daughter after taking a photo of her with the same background at the same angle every day for her first 12 years of life. You can watch and see how she changes and grows for the next couple of minutes while I'm talking. But think with me for a moment about physical growth. We don't expect to put an infant in a crib at night and in the morning find a child or adolescent or adult. No. We expect the infant to grow into maturity according to the process God has orchestrated for growth. Now that does include some growth spurts. Certainly during those first two to three years of new life, there is an abundance of growth. And at puberty, there is another growth spurt. But aside from those periods of rapid growth, the majority of growth physically is gradual, incremental. But it's not just human development that emphasizes incremental growth. The Bible does as well. To be sure, there are several instances in the Bible of instantaneous growth, like the dramatic conversion of the Apostle Paul, who went from persecuting Christians to leading them after encountering Jesus on the road. But most people gradually warmed up to Jesus. They encountered him, hung out with him for a while, eventually made a decision to follow him, and then had all sorts of ups and downs after that. Take Peter or John, or any of the disciples for that matter, as an example. James, a follower of Jesus, in his letter to the early church, encouraged them to be patient. And while his focus is on urging patience as we wait for Jesus' return, his words set the tone for us to understand this is not a sprint, but a marathon. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, with the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm. While we might much prefer instant growth, most growth in our lives is small, incremental. Now why is this important? It's important because if we don't regularly remind ourselves of this reality, we will expect drastic change in a short amount of time. And if we expect instantaneous results when the reality is much more of a slow grow, a gradual change, then we will likely become discouraged, maybe even give up. Having appropriate expectations for what growth looks like will help us persevere when it doesn't seem like growth is happening. James Clear in his book Atomic Habits refers to this idea as the plateau of latent potential. 
And if you are wondering what latent is and you ask Siri, she will tell you it is existing but not yet manifest, hidden or revealed. Clear's not writing about the spiritual life, but the concept transfers. You can see it on the screen here. The results we want to see in our lives, whatever good habit we're hoping to establish is on that vertical axis. And the horizontal axis is the amount of time it takes to develop that habit. The straight diagonal line is the way we think or want growth to happen. But that curved looping line is how growth actually occurs. And that little space between the diagonal line and the curved line is what he calls the valley of disappointment, where we are tempted to give up whatever the new habit is because we aren't seeing the results we were expecting. He makes the point that in order to see meaningful difference in our lives, we need to persist long enough to break through this plateau so we start experiencing the benefit of the work we have done. And if we do, if we stick with that consistently, day in and day out, over time, much like the growth of a child, we will look up one day and see remarkable growth. But it's hard to see the growth happening when you're in the midst of it. It often isn't until you look back that it's clear growth was happening all along. You just didn't see it. It is often noted that oak trees do not produce their first acorns until they are 20 to 30 years old. Those first 20 years or so, their most important work of developing a deep root system to sustain the tree for years to come is hidden from plain view. No one can see the growth. Francois Fenelon, a 17th century French spiritual writer, wrote, God often hides his work under an unnoticeable sequence of events. Sometimes a period that may seem like spiritual stagnation may actually be filled with nurturing below the surface. We just may not see it for quite some time. I hope you find encouragement in that this morning. Healthy growth of any kind is most often incremental, slow, hidden below the surface. If you're feeling like you've been at this a long time or there doesn't seem to be much happening or you wish you were further along than you are, maybe it's worth remembering the constraints that we're working with. This is a lifelong process. This is a slow grow. We are only seeing one frame in the life of this journey. But if we stay faithful over time, we will see growth. Galatians 6.9 reminds us, let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We must have patience, for spiritual growth is a gradual process. But not only that, it's a gradual process with God. Just as we are sure to encounter problems if we assume growth is instantaneous, we are also sure to encounter problems if we try to do it alone. The Bible is very clear on this point. Growth is not solely God's responsibility. We've got to do our part. But the Bible is also very clear that the opposite is also true. Growth is not solely our responsibility. God has to grow the fruit in us. We dare not try to make it happen without him. 
Just as our culture's fixation on instant gratification is a challenge to appreciating the slow growth that's more representative of the spiritual life, so also is our culture's fixation on control a challenge to having the right posture for growth to occur. The difference between forming ourselves and being formed is the vital issue of control. Forming ourselves means we can do it, thank you. We don't need any help. Being formed means we are dependent on another to make it happen. We will ask for help in knowing which nutrients we need. We will attribute fruit to his grace in our lives. We will not feel responsible for results. Many places in the Bible talk about this reality, but here's one I like because of its beautiful metaphor. It's a portion of Jesus' last words on the night before he died in John 15, four to five. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is using a metaphor for his listeners that really resonates with them. In the first century, where drinking water was not always easy to come by, wine was a common substitute, making vineyards prized plants. Jesus states plainly that just as fruit as the fruit-bearing branch must stay connected to the vine, so too do his followers need to stay connected to him in order to produce fruit. Remain in means to stay in the same place over time, to live in, make yourself at home in, step into ongoing union with. If we want to grow spiritually, we must draw our nourishment from Jesus. We must stay close to the life source. When we do, we will bear fruit. When we don't, we won't produce anything. Did you know that it's possible to do things even really good spiritual things like coming to church or reading your Bible or going to growth group without remaining in the vine. It's possible to have some routine and merely go through the motions without engaging the heart or without seeking Jesus in the midst of it. Now that doesn't mean we don't engage those practices. The surrounding verses in this passage give us some hints at how we can stay connected to the vine. And it includes remaining in Jesus' words by engaging with the Bible or talking with him about what we're doing in prayer. We're going to look at those next week when we look at nourishing elements because those are so central for our growth. But Jesus, knowing the human heart and our propensity towards self-reliance and having control, instead emphasizes here our need to depend on God for growth to occur. Our goal is not to produce fruit. Our goal is to stay connected to the vine. And when we do that, fruit is a byproduct. Whatever habit or practice we choose to do to help us connect with Jesus is simply a means to an end. Our goal is not to do that activity, to pray or to serve at CES. Our goal is to stay connected to the vine. And only insofar as those activities help us do that will they help us grow. 
Now, why does this matter? Because when we understand that growth cannot happen with God, we will include him in the process. We will ask him to show us what activities would help us grow. We will ask him to make it clear when it's time to change it up. We will ask him to help us when something we're doing becomes dry and rote. I know for many of us control freaks, that sounds a little lax. But actually, it's a really good thing that God is involved in this process. Because it doesn't all depend on us. One writer put it like this, the journey of spiritual growth is an increasingly faithful response to the one whose purpose shapes our path, whose grace redeems our detours, whose power liberates us from the crippling bondages of the prior journey, and whose transforming presence meets us at each turn in the road. Holistic spirituality is a pilgrimage of deepening responsiveness to God's control on our life and being. And that is a beautiful thing. Because that means, lastly, that spiritual growth involves all of life. When God works in us, nothing is wasted and nothing is spared. Every aspect of our lives is laid before him. It's all fodder for him to use to grow us. That's because we human beings are multidimensional. We are a highly complex combination of body, mind, emotion, spirit, will, as well as behavior and habits. Our being is wrapped up in the physical, emotional, cognitive, social, behavioral will, all affecting each other, what one writer referred to as the tissue of mutual dependencies. The Bible knows this reality as well. When Jesus answered the question, what is the greatest commandment from which we get our church's purpose statement, love God, love others, he answered in this way, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God is to be manifested by loving him with every aspect of our being as well as having an outward effect and impact on others. And this is an important clarification because I think most people have this perception that in order to grow in our faith, it will involve only spiritual habits like praying or going to church. And of course, those habits are central and important. But spiritual growth does not consist solely of that. Spiritual growth affects every aspect of our personhood. What's happening with our bodies what our minds are thinking about, the choices we make, the emotions we are feeling, the way we are relating to others, as well as those things we consider spiritual. Holistic spirituality always takes place in the midst of our emotional, psychological, physical, mental conditions and emerges out of them. Spiritual growth is both affected by and affects whatever is happening in us in all of these ways. Let's think about the physical for a moment. If you've gotten sick or you're dealing with a new bodily limitation, that is going to affect your spirituality. You've got to accommodate what your habits or practices are. But it can also be the place in which you meet God deeply in a new way, maybe more than you ever have before. 
the physical condition you are experiencing becomes an opportunity to grow deeper dependence on God. Conversely, if your body is working just fine, so fine in fact, maybe your days are full, packed full, your body is exhausted. Maybe the most spiritual thing you could do this week is cut something out and go to bed a little earlier. Maybe that one decision would serve as a gateway to other decisions to shape your spirituality in ways you can't anticipate, like having more patience with others or how you spend your money. Let's think about the social for a moment. I think many of us have this idea that loving God means spending time alone with him away from people. But the process of being formed in the image of Christ takes place in the midst of our relationships, not apart from them. So if we want a decent litmus test of our spirituality, we really only need to examine the nature and quality of our relationships with others. And here's one more example of how the spiritual is affected by other aspects of our lives, this time from the emotional. 13 years ago, when my mom died suddenly, I was devastated. We had a one-year-old at the time. My mom had been my biggest cheerleader in every way. I felt like I needed her in knowing how to be a mom. Because I was grieving, my emotions were different than they typically are. Now, yes, I admit I tear up pretty much, I mean, it wouldn't be a stretch to say daily, but I was crying, I mean, bawling, sobbing daily in this stage. So naturally, my spiritual growth that year looked different than it has at other times in my life. Even my worship in church looked different. One point of growth was that even though I knew in my head Jesus had conquered death and we would one day be raised to new life after we died, if we trusted in him, I don't think I fully appreciated that. But celebrating that first Easter Sunday after she died, I can tell you I have never been so thankful to Jesus that he has drop-kicked death. He has made it so that one day even death will die. And when you have lost someone you love, that takes on new meaning. I was able to worship Jesus more for conquering death than ever before, even though I was still grieving. And that has stayed with me all these years. What was going on in me emotionally affected my spiritual life. And my spiritual life will also get lived out in my emotional life. As you'll see on this diagram, the arrow goes both ways there. That little white arrow going into the green slice of emotion means that my spiritual life or life with God will have implications on my emotions. When I am sad, I can remember the truths God has promised. When I am afraid, I can choose what my mind thinks about, pulling in that fuchsia-colored cognitive there. It's all interrelated. Inside your program, there's a little card with this diagram on the back of it. And here's my suggestion. During this next song, or later this week, sit for a few moments with God silently. Ask him to help you see what it is you need to see. How are each of these aspects of your life affecting your life with God? And how might you want to see these areas of your life changed as a result of your life with God? 
As always, I encourage you to talk with a trusted friend or mentor or pastor about how that change can look. We remain in the true vine for our sustenance, but he has also given us many branches who are connected to him who can help us in that process. The change won't happen overnight. It's a gradual process. It's a slow grow, but we don't do it alone. We may seek to remain in Jesus, but he also remains in us. And he will show us how each part of our lives gets taken up in his cultivation project. This is what the Apostle Paul was getting at in Romans 12.1. And here's how the message paraphrases it. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. Your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. May it be so. Let's pray. Oh God, you know the heart of each one here. You hear our longings. You know what we are longing for, the growth we want to see happen, the growth we don't even think is possible in our own lives or in those we know and love. But you have promised to be with us. You have given us the example of your son and you have filled us with your Holy Spirit to form the very image of your son in us. May it be so. Holy Spirit, now and this week, would you do your translating work to each ear and each heart. Show us what it is we need to pay attention to. Show us the places in which we can invite you in and show us how to respond to that. We pray for our sake because it is true life and always only for your glory. Amen.